Uh, it's lovely to be here with you all this morning, everyone, and um, those listening at home. It's great to have you with us too. And today, as Mason said, we're kicking off this series on the Psalms. Uh, we're looking at Psalm 31, and also just in general, this theme of, of refuge. What does it mean to take refuge in God? Well, how's the serenity? Eh? That's going straight to the pool room. Tell him he's dreaming. Okay. Which film am I quoting? Anybody? Yes, The Castle. An absolute gem of Australian cinema. Uh, you know, I'm not a very patriotic person, but I do feel a bit of national pride swelling up in me when I think about this film. And if you're like me, just hearing one of these lines is enough to bring to mind the whole story. The story of a family who faced the terrible prospect of losing their house and who insisted that while houses may be bought and sold, theirs was not a house, but a home. And home is something you can never put a price on. It's funny the way our minds work, isn't it? A few lines from a movie is all it takes to trigger that memory and draw us back into the story. And this is similar to how the Psalms work as well. There's something like a cross between, you know, like a high church liturgy and folk songs that tell the story and the struggle of a people. They were sung so that future generations would be drawn back into the story to remember who they were and where they came from. You know, it's likely that Jesus heard these songs even from the womb. His earliest days embraced by the words of his heavenly father, lovingly intoned by his mother's voice. And this was a common experience for children growing up in this culture. They sung them year in, year out. So when Jesus, from the cross, uses his last breath to quote Psalm 31, saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, well, all of this psalm was ringing around in the ears of those who heard him. Just like quoting a line from a well-known film, he was drawing them back into the story of the God who always makes refuge for those driven from home, who always brings life just when death seems inevitable. And one of the first things we notice about these songs of God's covenant people is how much raw pain they express. And if you have ever asked the question, God, how could you let this happen? You'll find good company in the Psalms. Because they're full of people dealing with the ugly sides of life, the, the kind of emotions that we would normally want to deny or hide from each other. And you know what? I find this so encouraging because it means that becoming more spiritual never means becoming less human. 
The spirituality of the Psalms encourages us to embrace our humanity, even the most difficult parts. Because when we speak words of bitterness and distress to our own hearts, words like, I'm consumed by anguish, or when we use these words as weapons against others, may the wicked be silent, well, that's when things go sour. But speak them and surrender them to God in covenant community, and you will see something new beginning. And if we simply sweep these feelings under the rug, we're living in a fantasy at that point. We need someone to tell us we're dreaming. Because when we live in that kind of escapist denial of reality, the sad thing is we'll be blind to the most amazing of things. Look at the end of Psalm 31. The author says, I was in a city under siege. You know, things have gotten pretty bad by now. But read the whole sentence. God showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. It was in the midst of utter crisis that they saw something new and powerful beginning. We can't sweep these feelings under the rug because from our point of view, there are times when it feels like God has just not heard us. He must not be paying attention. Or even worse, he must not care. And much of human history has been preoccupied with this question. How do we get God to hear us? So we devised elaborate religions and rituals, thinking that if we could just offer the right sacrifice at the right time, then we would secure God's attention and favor. But the Psalms tell us of a God who does not operate that way. Listen to the language they use. You heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. You save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You give them courage and listen to their cry. Yahweh is close to the brokenhearted. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The wicked will be condemned, but no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This God does not act because we offered the right sacrifice, prayed the right prayer, or believed the right belief. He shows no favoritism. All that anyone must do to have his attentive ear is to cry out in their need. The wordless cry and tears of the afflicted are a more eloquent prayer to God than you or I will possibly ever come up with ourselves. And here we are also introduced to one of the wonders of the gospel. Look in Psalm 31 verse 7 if you've got it there open. I will rejoice and be glad in your love because you saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You know, the first time that God is named 
in the whole Bible. It is by Hagar, an Egyptian slave girl who has been exploited, mistreated, and driven away from her home. She cries out, and God rescues her. And she says in wonder, You are El Roi, which means you are the God who sees me. She, who has always been seen as an object rather than a person, says, Finally, someone has seen me. And this is the same God of Psalm 31. You saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You know, for most of us, if we're honest, we know when someone is in really deep distress, really eaten up by anguish, it's uncomfortable to be with them. Because to stay means to share in some of their discomfort. We need a lot of grace to forgive those who have let us down, don't we? And we need a lot of grace to have the strength and courage needed to show up and to stay when others are in need. It is human nature to move away from suffering. But this God moves closer. This God is so committed to his creation that he does not remain aloof, but enters into creation to stand alongside his people in their distress and share in their agony. He knows our anguish, not from afar, but from personal experience. He speaks through the prophet in Isaiah chapter 57. The place I dwell is high and holy, but I am one with the broken and lowly. Okay, but even if he hears and he knows, who does he help? Does he only help Christians? Does he only help good people? Hey, every so often you might even meet someone who fits both of those categories. But how do I know whether God will help me? Well, this God has utter freedom. He will choose in his perfect wisdom what is best. But we can always hope in his goodness no matter what. Look at Psalm 31 verse 3. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. For the sake of your name. This is good news for us. Because if we had to be good enough or pure enough to secure God's help, we would all be without hope. But God acts for no reason other than for the sake of his name, simply because he is who he is. This God hears the cry of those suffering injustice, of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and he acts for the sake of his own name, because he has declared himself to be a God who loves justice. And that is a reputation he will passionately protect. There are not many things in life that we can always count on, but this one is unshakable. How good it is to know 
that God's saving help depends entirely on his goodness and not mine. Here is a spring of unending grace that we are invited to drink from daily. We've heard this God described as a rock and a fortress and refuge in Psalm 31. And as we read through the rest of the Psalms, this theme comes up continually. And also its counterpart theme, the longing for home. Refuge must be sought when home is no longer safe. Because everyone must have a home. A home that is unsafe is no home at all. Look at the history of God's covenant people and it is clear why this longing for home is such a key part of their identity. They are the people of Abraham, the homeless, childless wanderer who left everything behind because he believed God's promise to one day make him the father to a nation, given a land to be their home forever. They are the people of Moses, led out of slavery, who entered into a covenant with God, who proved his ability to provide refuge in the least hospitable of all places. They are the people who experienced the bitterness of exile and theft of home, and the fearful wonder of a God who would continue to uphold a covenant that they had repeatedly broken and defiled. A God who would even extend forgiveness and grace to welcome home the most prodigal of children or spouses. There are many things that can destroy home and drive someone out into the dark in desperate search of refuge. And the Psalms give us a wide variety of examples threats and violence from enemies, false accusations and unjust judges, the social stigma of incurable illness, or even our own foolish and destructive actions. And these all have one thing in common. They all stem from humanity's attempts to find a home apart from God. Walter Brueggemann sums it up in his book on the Psalms like this. True home is always gift, never achievement. Because when we refuse the home that comes as a gift and insist on creating our own security, we not only end up with something fragile and temporary, we often end up destroying the homes of others in the process. In fact, it's worth noting that when the Psalms talk about evil and the wicked, it's a very different picture to what we might expect. It's not those heathens with their other religions or those terrible secularists trying to destroy religion, nor is it condemning the breaking of some arbitrary moral code. It's describing people doing the opposite of taking refuge in God and how things unravel when they do. Listen to this from Psalm 52. Here now is the man who did not make God his refuge, 
but trusted in his own great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. See, when we doubt God's ability or willingness to keep us safe, then it's up to us to create our own security, to trust in our own wealth and ability. And this might seem harmless. In fact, we often see it as wise or noble. We call that success in this world. But only when you take a few individual cases. But when you have entire nations pursuing this end, we can observe from history that it always plays out in the same way. The strong make their home at the expense of the weak. And our world today, and the relative wealth and stability enjoyed by much of the Western world, is the direct result of the past few centuries of powerful empires increasing their wealth through setting up colonies around the world. That's how most of us got here. It's part of our backstory as Australians, as a colony of the British Empire. But consider, you know how real estate prices in Melbourne are just a little bit bonkers? Like, they're ridiculously high. But just imagine how much more a plot of land in Melbourne would cost if a couple of hundred years ago it had been paid for rather than taken. Our world is the way it is because when the strong create a home for themselves, the homes of others are destroyed in the process. It's not just Australia. We can see the results everywhere. Today, there are an estimated 80 million refugees worldwide, a number which has nearly doubled in the past decade alone. So what hope is there? Who can possibly heal this world and restore to safety those crying out for refuge? Where can we find grace and a new way? Well, let's remember this today. God did not dictate Psalm 31 from on high. He came down to the dirt and he lived it. Jesus, God incarnate, lived out the words of this song as a homeless wanderer in need of refuge, the son of man with no place to rest his head. We can be sure of his willing and able intercession for us because he has personally seen our affliction and personally experienced the anguish of our souls. And like the psalmist, he became the utter contempt of his neighbors and an object of dread to his closest friends. What was he doing that caused such a reaction from his enemies? He was simply doing what God does in the Psalms, listening to the cry of the weak and the afflicted, caring for them with every resource he had. And he shocked people when he said, your father Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Perhaps Abraham, the wanderer with no home and no family, saw through eyes of faith the extraordinary way that this God keeps his promises.
Abraham and the author of Psalm 31 rejoiced when they saw but a dim shadow. Jesus is the reality. He proves once and for all that everyone who seeks refuge in God will find there abundant life, new beginning, true family, true and lasting home. We can have great hope for the healing of this world because this God, perfectly revealed in Jesus, is the God who sees, who knows, and who acts for the sake of his name. His generous grace is far more sure than anything else we could ever put our trust in. But it's not always easy to live in a community in covenant with God, trusting in his gift of home, forsaking every false home that benefits from destruction. I mean, Jesus lived this perfectly. And look at what happened to him. And he reminds us, no servant is greater than their master. Or as Christian peace activist Daniel Berrigan says, if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. Rest assured that living in the way Jesus commands will look absolutely foolish in the eyes of the world. People will shake their heads in disbelief as we move towards those that the rest of the world are moving away from, as we go out of our way to share in their discomfort. But in that place, we will see the wonder of his love and discover that it is never foolish to be shaped by the grace that Jesus has given us and to imitate his grace-giving ways. It is in that place that we will see how abundant are the good things he has stored up, which he bestows on all who take refuge in him. So be strong and take heart all you who hope in him. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hear and that you know and that you act for the sake of your name. And because of this, we can be sure that you are reaching out and renewing all the hurt in this world. Teach us and form us to be your covenant community. Train us to listen like you listen and to act like you act so that we can be your children who seek the peace in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.